holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Help us to see you today, Lord. Every time I gaze at that lion, that lamb, it's so easy to see the lion, the lamb, it's harder to see. The way you do things is different. So I just pray today, we see you. So we love you, God. And we're grateful that you are God and that we're not. Would you pray for the prayer Jesus taught his disciples? If you don't know the words, they'll be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Cassie, can you give me, um, let's see here. I want slide. I don't know if I have it. Nope, I don't. Best my nose somewhere. Um, give me one quick second here. Just think about this. I said this a few weeks back in here, and I said in the other room last week, uh, Revelation, according to one of the books we were given to study, was written and shared to enable its hearers to control their fear, to renew their commitment, and sustain their vision. So Revelation is to enable us today to control our fear, to renew our commitment, and to sustain our vision. So a book that looks really scary, that seems really confusing and daunting, is meant to give us all kinds of hope. And that is how I'm feeling more and more every single week. I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm the only one. Is everyone the same? I've been encouraged every week. And so I hope today that you feel really hopeful. Because as we read about the trumpets and we read about we have seals and trumpets and bowls, it sounds scary, it sounds bad, it sounds wild, and it is, but it's meant to bring us hope. So my hope today is that you feel very hopeful, all right? So I got a couple words for you today, and it helped me keep my mind straight. I got the word patient, perseverance. Give me slide number six. Patient, perseverance, prayer, proclamation, and prize, all right? But I flipped the order, okay? Lots of P's. We're going to start with patient perseverance. We're going to jump to proclamation. We're going to come back to prayer because of the prize. So we're going to kind of jump back and forth to an eight and nine and eight, and then we're going to go up to 11 just for a minute. I don't want to steal Tom's sermon next week, but just for a second. I think we need to, okay? So first thing I want to do though today is patient perseverance. It's not found in the text directly, but um, uh, over the summer, I was beginning to study for this, and I listened to a teaching by a man named Ray Vanderlaan. Anybody know Ray Vanderlaan? has got something called That the World May Know. And so Ray is one of those people who takes people to Israel. He takes them to present-day Turkey, to Asia, where this is actually written, and he provides tons of context. You know, they're, they're still actually digging up the cities that we find in Revelation. They're, they're learning about these cities and these cultures. And so he did an incredible teaching on Revelation 1 through 9. And it makes me really hopeful, and I'm just, I'm blown away by John. He is layering text and context. One teacher I heard said, it's almost like John had some help, the Holy Spirit. Because what he's doing is brilliant. 
It's so interesting, okay? So I'm going to give you, first, to say we're, we're talking about the Olympics. Who likes the Olympics? Right? Summer Olympics or Winter Olympics? Both. Both. Summer? I'm more of a summer person, I think. You know, just for fun, next to you, favorite Olympian of all time. Do you think of one Olympian? Tell your neighbor, who's your favorite Olympian of all time? Okay? Do you have favorite Olympian, Mike? I'm going to go 92 Dream Team. That's going to be mine. 92 Dream Team. Anyone want to yell at their favorite Olympian? Feel brave? Favorite Olympian? Jenna Miller? Mark Spitz? Yeah. Jesse Owens. Beautiful. All right. So why are we talking about the Olympics? Well, let me tell you. Can you give me slide number seven? So Olympics are really famous, right? They're really old. They were Greek, and then the Roman culture thought this is a really great thing, these Olympics. People coming together, there's competition. Romans love competition, gladiatorial games. It's great, awesome. Like, it's, it's exciting. Everybody loves it, okay? So let me tell you about how the Olympic Games began, okay? And this is from Ray Vanderlaan, and they're kind of piecing some things together. There was no program or bulletin. They didn't find like a, a, a piece of stone that said this is exactly what happened. But this is their best guess currently about how they think the Olympic Games began. First, the presentation of, of the emperor. That's when Caesar enters the arena to the acclaim of all those who are gathered. Next is the herald's announcements. The emperor was almost always introduced by a, recit a recitation of his mighty deeds and his mighty accomplishments. Third, Caesar's pronouncements. Caesar would talk to the different regions who were represented at the games. And he would say things like, I've heard about this in your region. That's really great. But I've also heard about this. and I think you need to work on this. This is not good. I hold this, I hold this against you, we might say. Fourth, the chorus sings an imperial praise. So the crowd at the Olympic Games is dressed in white robes because that is the attire of the day. And they will be led by 24 priests singing the 24 legal Roman religions. So a huge choir, the whole place in white robes, sings about how great Caesar is and the Roman culture. Next, uh, the games are open. Uh, a herald would read a scroll. Again, extolling the, good, the greatness of the gods and Caesar, king of kings and God most high. And this ushered in the competition of the Olympics. The next thing that happened was the chariot races. As far as they can tell, it was the first event and it was more ceremonial than actual games. And guess what colors the chariots were? They were red, black, white, and pale. Then the trumpets would blast, let the games begin. Any of it sound familiar to you from the first couple of weeks? Let's see here. The presentation of the emperor, that could be Revelation 1, where God is presented as the Alpha and the Omega. The herald's announcement, Revelation 1b, John hears a voice telling him to write down what he sees, the greatness of God. Third, Caesar's pronouncements, seven letters to seven churches. I've heard this, but I hold this against you. Fourth, the chorus sings the imperial praise, Revelation 4 and 7. The crowd, dressed in white robes, sings the praise of God. Next, Revelation 5, the games are open. The slain lamb is found worthy to open the scroll and the seven seals. Then the chariot races, Revelation 6, 
red, white, black, and pale. Then seven, today, the trumpet sound. Let the games begin. So the Olympics back then, see, we think of our favorite Olympian, right? And we think about how great they are. But in this time period, you ran on behalf of your God. So as you competed, you competed on behalf of the God of your city, of your region, all lowercase g gods. So if you were great, you weren't that great. Your God is great. So could John perhaps be talking to a church about using the Olympic Games as analogy and saying, the way you run this race will tell the whole world who your God is. That language sound familiar? Running races? How about Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3? Paul would say, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men and women, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. Or how about Isaiah 40, 29? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary, and they'll walk and not faint. I think John is saying, you're a part of the great games. And how you choose to run the race, how you choose to compete, is going to tell everyone who your God is. But it's going to be really, really hard. So it's going to require tons of patience. Persevere. Hang in there. Revelation is to sustain, sustain their vision, renew their commitment, and to quiet their fears. He's saying, but you're in a race. How do you choose to run? And that's, I think, he's laying out through one through nine. It's going to take time. Can you give me slide number five? He's telling the same story over and over and over again. But if you pay attention, you'll see that the, the intensity is increasing. The games are getting more and more intense. The competition is getting more and more fierce. Last week, a fourth of things were destroyed. This week, if you're here for Kathy's reading, a third is being destroyed. Next week, uh, two weeks, it's one for one. It's getting more and more and more intense, but God is still on the throne. So he's telling us to us over and over and over again, hang in there. The end is really good. He tells us the end multiple times. Be patient. Persevere. How you run will tell everybody what I am like. But it's going to be hard. So today's passage, the trumpets. We're coming on the heels of the seals. So I didn't get this at first. The trumpets sound really bad. Can I read a few of the things? So the, the trumpets blasted, 
and a third of the earth is burned up. A third of the trees are burned up. The grass is burnt up. Then there's another trumpet. The seas turn to blood. Living creatures die. Ships are destroyed. Another trumpet. Water is bitter. People die from the water. Another trumpet. A third of the sun falls. A third of the moon falls. A third of the stars fall. A third of them turn dark. A third of the days without light. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. That sounds really, really bad, right? But actually, trumpets historically are signs of God's judgment. So for people who, if we went back last week, who were saying, the sixth seal, the fifth seal, how long, God? How long do we live with this? How long until you return? How long do we deal with things like cancer and death? How long is there poverty? How long is there racism? How long is there oppression? The trumpets, the judgments, are actually answers to those prayers. They're meant to encourage the church. The judgments we see are actually, isn't that weird to think about? The world's getting more and more and more chaotic. That's actually an answer to our prayers. I really wrestle with this one. I've had a really hard time this week with this passage. Can I say that? Eight and nine's been tricky. I didn't like any of my slides on Wednesday. I'm still not sure about them today. Eight, this has been, it's been really hard for me. So my prayers result in bad, bad things, it seems like. Those, that's the answer to my prayer? But with the Lord... Judgment is meant to show us what we have created. It's, it's meant to alert us to our sin. In, Rev, in Romans 1, it talks about God's judgment and God's wrath. And what it is, is God's giving people over to their desires. That's judgment. That is wrath. So he's allowing at an increasing rate, the things that we think we want to happen. And it's causing destruction with the hope that we recognize the fruit of our choices. It's meant to lead us towards repentance. Does that seem weird or strange? or challenging to anyone other than me this week. Trumpet blasts are the answer to my prayers and they're painful. But if you look at all the images, we should talk about, give me slide number four. All the images which refer back, what kind of imagery do you see? Do you recognize any of these things? Blood, water turning to blood, things falling from the sky. What does, what does that remind you of? Exodus, plagues, right? What was the point of the plagues? Was it angry, wrathful God just trying to destroy somebody? If it was, why would he give somebody 10 times? Over a period of time, these plagues took place. They, they dethroned lowercase g gods, but then they let people see, oh, did you know 
in that story, all those plagues, that some of the Egyptians start listening. When the hail falls, did you know that? Let's go Exodus. You know, if you want to get a Bible out, I'll flip the pages back because it helps me to see where John's going. But Exodus, I think, uh, look at my notes here. 12, nope, 9.20, Exodus 9.20. Hail comes. The hail's going to come. And Moses warns the Egyptians of the hail. And officials of Pharaoh, who feared the word of the Lord, put their animals inside. Did you know at the end of the Exodus, as they're leaving, um, Exodus, let's see, 12.38, many other people go with the Israelites. Did you know that? Not just the Israelites leave. People who watch, who watch who God is, who see how much he loves his people, end up changing their minds and going with the Israelites. Did you ever catch that? The Lord, he gives 10 tries to Pharaoh. He is really patient. So God is patient. That means that I have to be patient. Because we're, we're in amongst these trumpets. We're living amongst these seals. We're living amongst these bulls, these painful things. Now listen to the 8 o'clock service. And my dad said this. He said, judgment never changes anyone's mind. The judgment itself does not change their mind. It's what his people do in the judgment. It's our witness amongst painful things that helps people connect with, oh, I need that God. How do you, how do you handle that? How do you handle that sickness? How do you handle that pain? How are you faithful? How do you stay together? So the judgment doesn't turn them. It's, how, it's when they watch the witnesses. That's next week. The martyrs. That's why I think John lines us up against the Olympic Games. You have to patiently persevere. Because how you choose to run this race is going to tell everybody what I am actually like. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. My favorite passage. It's about who God is. He's compassionate, he's gracious, he's slow to anger. So sometimes we view judgment and wrath, like human judgment and wrath, is quick, it's aggressive. You know, can I be honest with you? I did not have a good day as being a dad yesterday. I had a bad day. I was not very patient. So I, last night, I laid my hand on my daughter's head and I said, God, please forgive me and help her to remember the good things of this day. Help her to know her daddy loves her. Because my anger is quick and my wrath is quick. It's self-righteous. I'm right. And God's is not. It is so slow. See, these trumps are taking place over, this is human history. Slowly, 
these judgments are allowed to happen so that people like us can faithfully run the race, patiently run, and help people know who he is. But that is so hard. So how do we run the race? What do we do? So I said with patience, we jump to the trumpets. And you can find, we, we, we could talk about locusts for days. That's in Joel, Old Testament reference. These locusts come, and what it is, is a call to repentance. It's a call to turn back to God. The end of Joel is very hopeful. God wins. Nations are judged. Locusts are, they're old. They're also in the Exodus story. But what do we do in the meantime? I said this, I'm not sure when I've said it. I have found myself wanting to pray more than I've ever wanted to pray during this series. About everything. Every sign that I see, every time that I get angry, every time I'm just, I'm feeling led just to pray. Because of the seventh seal in Revelation 8 says this, from going backwards. The seal is opened. And when the seal is opened, there is silence in heaven. So if you've been paying attention, this book is loud. I wanted to pipe in as much noise as I could right now. Just make it so loud you can't even think. That's how loud the heavens are. And the climax is total Silence. Why? Because God hears every single prayer. Everything we say, every how long, everything, everything, he hears every single one. And then he collects them in that bowl. Right? He collects it. It's mixed with incense. It purifies it. It's combined with fire. That's the Holy Spirit. And then this angel, whoever that angel is, throws the prayers out of the heavens. And they come crashing down to the earth like an earthquake. Peals of thunder, lightning. The earth shakes because of prayer. Do you believe that? Because if I believe that, I would pray a whole lot more than I would talk. Everyone's talking. I'm talking, you're talking, we're all talking. Do a lot of talking, not a lot of praying. And if that's what prayer does, I should shut my mouth. Amen? And they crash into their so we have to pray. So, it's been so fun to track down these Old Testament references because there's no like, hey, here's a direct quote to this place or here's a direct quote to that place. That's not how John works. 
Scripture is so ingrained in him, he's just, pulling, he's just pulling on stories and pulling on stories and pulling on stories. So as I was studying I, I, and thinking about how, to me, the climax is prayer. As the seventh seal, it's prayer. And the seventh thing is always awesome, okay? I found this story in Numbers, okay? And it's back, Exodus. It's Moses, that person who helped lead the people out, and Aaron, his brother. And they have led the people out of Israel, if you know the story, they're in captivity for like 400 years. They're oppressed. They come out. They go through the sea. God saves them. And they really quickly start getting angry with God. And they really quickly start getting angry with Aaron and with Moses. And it says this in Numbers 16. Let's go back. If you want to flip there, it's on page 148. People want Aaron's position. They want Moses' position. They, they phrase it beautifully. Previously in the story, they say, you're not more special than us. We're all important. We're all a part of this thing together. But Psalm 106 says they weren't really, saying, they weren't really for the people. They were for themselves. And they were envious of Moses and envious of Aaron. So they come after Moses and Aaron, right? And there's this wild scene where uh, people are, the earth opens up and people get swallowed up. And then there's priests holding scepters of incense and fire comes out from the Lord, and it burns them all to death. It's a wild story. These are the stories that are, if you're honest, are really hard to read, okay? But this is the part that struck me. So people are trying to take Aaron and Moses' position. They're trying to, uh, they're fighting them. They are angry at them. They have all gathered around them. Usually you got stoned when that happened. And all of a sudden, judgment comes from the Lord, he says, no, you are envious and you're doing this and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wipe you out. Number 16, 46. Moses says to Aaron, take your censer, put incense in it along with fire from the altar and hurry to the assembly amongst all these people who are angry at us, all these people who just wanted to kill us. Take incense, take fire, put your scepter and get in the middle of all of them. Why? To make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord, and a plague has started. So Moses, Aaron, uh, Aaron did, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. Because he got the incense, because he got the fire, and he ran in amongst these people who hated his guts, the plague stops. He stands between the living and the dead, and he protects the living. Can you imagine this? Someone is so mad at you they want to kill you, and then they start dying. Watch any revenge movie. Yes! That's what they get. Look what they were doing. That's not what Aaron does. They run in amongst those people who deserve bad things, maybe, and with incense and with fire, and they stop the plague. That's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the people who in the midst of the judgments, the trumpets that we see in Revelation, all the pain, all the heartache, our own heartache, who stand in the middle of the living and the dead, and we offer up prayers for them. We intercede on their behalf because we want them to know who he is. Which happens in Revelation 11. I said a few weeks back, I think heaven is way more full than we think. 
I think a lot more people turn than we think. But it requires patience. And we're so fixed right here on the current situation, the current moment, I don't think about their whole life. I think about what's happening right now, and right now, our world is a mess. And Right? But perhaps it's a mess because God's saying, I have to give you over to these things. So you recognize that these systems that you think you have in place are going to fix everything will not. So people of God need you to be faithful in it, to show the world who I am by patiently running the race. You tracking with me at all? Can't tell. All right. So I've been, I'm really hopeful. I was uh, at a conference recently, and I'm, forgive me if I said this. The speaker said this, Matthew, I think, 9. He said, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. Workers are few. The harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of people who want to know who he is. For some weird reason, the Lord asks us to participate with him, and I can't figure it out most of the time. Why do you want me to partner with you? Do you know what I just did yesterday? Do you know how impatient I was? He says, yeah. And I want, you, I want maybe he's like, I want, to see, I want people to see you change, Clayton. I want people to see you become different so they can know who I am. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So uh, I was, we have a new magazine coming out shortly. And in it, it's called Everyone Every Day. And what it is, we're trying to encourage all of us to, to, to bring what happens here everywhere that we go. This is just a recentering, a regathering to get charged up to get out of here and go. And I was reading an article, which you're going to want to read, by John Heatbrink. And he was talking about, uh, there's this scene in one of the Gospels, I think it's in Luke, where Jesus sends out his disciples. They're brand new. They don't really know what they're doing. But they go out, and they believe in him. And the Lord does some stuff, right? When they come back, it's the only time we see it, it says that Jesus is full of joy. Only time in the Gospel we see that. Those words together. Jesus, as his disciples returned from having gone out to show people who he is, they went in power, they prayed, they healed, all kinds of stuff. The Lord is working and moving. And when they come back, Jesus is full of joy. He's like, well done! Good job! I, mean, I always imagine Jesus being joyful, but I'm, I'm wondering how joyful was he as he was hearing the stories of these disciples who don't know what they're doing, but the Lord's working in their lives. I, he was, I bet you he was just like, come on back. Let's talk about it. Let's get back out there because you're my plan, which makes no sense. Doesn't it? He doesn't need us, but he lets us. That's wild. Get back out there. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Come back here on Sunday. We'll get together. We'll recharge. We'll be encouraged. And then we'll go back out. That's why we have to gather together. That's what happens here. 
We get pumped up. Jesus fills us up. He says, now I'm going to go with you, but you've got to bring this out everywhere that you go. In the store, at school. So John, in his article, he talks about he was entering Walmart. And Psalm 1, I think 104 goes, comes to his mind, says, I'll enter your gates with thanksgiving in my heart. So he walks into Walmart looking for someone to talk to. He's in the entryway, and he sees somebody. And he says, oh, I'll talk to them. How are you doing? Oh, well, actually, I'm not going to split. Person shares something. He asks good questions. He's in the front of Walmart, and he prays for that person. That's what we're talking about. But I walk around like this most of the time, thinking about what I got to do. You know, I'm just rambling right now. I'm sorry. My favorite test every day is how did I handle interruption? If I'm going to be an everyone, everyday kind of person, if I'm going to be about what Jesus, what Jesus is about every single day, how do I handle interruption? How I handle interruption reveals the state of my heart. My wife has heard me say this a million times, and I probably am not great most of the time. How do I handle the interruptions of life? Do I see them as an interruption or an opportunity? When things don't go my way, or on days when I'm super sad, that interrupts my day, why? Okay, God, what are you doing? What are you wanting to do? The trumpets, trumpets in the Old Testament did two things. They assembled the people for battle. And the weapons of Revelation are not swords and guns and tanks and helicopters. It's worship and it's prayer. Those are our weapons. The trumpets get blown and we assemble with worship and with prayer. Can we do that this week? I'm getting some nods. <laughs> Try to think how we live here, leave here fired up. We need a trumpet. <laughs> we got worship in a second. This is supposed to give us hope, not scare us. I'm thinking about this a lot. This is the last word that we have. If I'm, I said, I think the deal. If I'm Jesus and I'm not. Would I, would I want to leave you a riddle that scares you? Or would I want to leave you something that says, get out there! We win! Revelation 11. Let's read it real fast. The seventh angel will sound his trumpet, and loud voices in heaven will say, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That's the ending. That is good news. Let's get the band up here and let's, let's worship. So guys, would you, would you light us up? Would you light us up? Would we have your passion? Would we have your eyes? But I also pray if there's moments where we have to be quiet and sit alongside someone, that we would just see the opportunities you bring to us. I think so often we think we have to create a new opportunity to do something. And you say, no, I'll just do it right where you are. Do it today. Do it around the table with your family later. Do it with your roommate later. When you go to Walmart to get your groceries, just be looking for somebody. Be kind. Say hello. Ask good questions. God, would you, would you fire us up to, to see the world as you do? Because you are the king. You are always the king. And we know that. And we can be sure of that. In light of all this stuff, the destruction and all the things that we all know. You're in charge.
and you are God, and you are allowing things to happen in ways that we don't oftentimes understand because you want us to partner with you to bring people into your kingdom forever. And the good news is, in Revelation, is that so many do. More than we can count. A number so big that you can't even count it. You said to Abraham, it would outnumber the sand and the stars. That's like, I don't even know how many that is. So God, when we be part of leading your loving kindness, which leads people to repentance. Praise the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.